This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Baseball's back, and I get a chance to chat with Bobby V, which, you know what, folks, whether we were fighting or not fighting or whatever, I always love talking baseball because there are few people who know baseball better than Bobby V. Nobody can argue that. Uh, I mean, he just he has an opinion on everything and knows the game inside and out, and he is part of the Bet Rivers family, and uh, he will join me uh, on these baseball podcasts each week during the baseball season. The baseball season's right around the corner. Uh, luckily, the owners and the players didn't screw it up too badly. But, Bobby, I have so many things I want to discuss with you here. First of all, uh, welcome. And then secondly, the rules. I wish they would have gone back and fixed everything rather than wait and decide to fix some things this year and others after this year. I don't know why they couldn't have done it all in one fell swoop now that we're hopefully past, you know, all the craziness that we've lived through the last two years. But, I mean, they put the doubleheaders back at nine innings, but we still have to live with that ridiculous extra inning rule for another year. I don't know why they couldn't have wiped that out this year are you comfortable where the rule things are this year and the rule changes are this year? Well, yeah, Mike, uh, first off, great memories of us doing uh, really good radio. Yes, in the past, and many times. We'll be able to do it again, you know? Yes, I look forward to it. I really do. But thank you. And, and, and we did. We had a lot of fun. Now, what, what, yeah, what, the how do yeah. you feel about where I'm we are rules-wise? I'm with you. It, it almost seemed like, you know, because they started so late in negotiation that that was the beginning of them thinking about what they needed to negotiate. You know what I mean? Yes. They had four years to figure out things that they had to negotiate, and they never got – they never get it right. You're exactly right. They should have fixed all the rules. That should have been done as soon as the season ended. That could have gotten them to the table uh, to talk about the money, you know, because the rules were just that idea. Let's let's get on the same page. So I don't like the ghost runner. I do like the nine innings. Um, I don't like the no uh, slide at second base. Um, the three the three hitter rule. I'm I think it's really interesting. I think it's really challenging for the manager. And that's why I like it, because they've taken a lot of the challenge out of the game for the manager. But to des- decide who's going to come in and pitch, knowing he has to pitch at three hitters, I mean, that that's a challenging effort. Bobby, you are a, a very and have always been a guy who thinks baseball. Uh, you were a manager who had that reputation. All right. 
there are a lot of things they are thinking about dabbling with. I, I, I hate the extra inning rule. We know that's going away after next year. I can live with it one more year. They're talking about these other possibilities. First of all, would you like them to legislate against the shift or not? Um, I don't, I think this shift is here to stay. I think it's hard to put that toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, I think the fans have lived with it. I think the young players and young fans uh, uh, enjoy it. But I, I'd like it personally, I'd like it to be another manager thing where you limit the number of shifts you can make during a game, you know? Okay. And, uh, that's it. Just figure it out. Whatever the the smart guys figure is that number that is workable with that starting pitcher or however they want to do it. Just say, hey, you got these eight. Use them all in one inning or save eight until the ninth inning. Whatever you want to do, we could criticize you for it. You know I, what I mean? Would you be in favor of a pitch clock? Um, you know what I really like, Mike? I saw a game the other day where the Rays had the catcher and the pitcher communicating with a little wristband from the catcher and a little earpiece in the hat of the of the pitcher and it was so clean it was unbelievable and it got that 10 seconds per pitch out of there where the where the pitcher's shaking his head or looking in for the sign you know he's like get the pitcher was walking getting on the rubber and he's already being told what the pitch is. Then he get on the rubber and he pitch. It was, I think that that's, that solves that pitch clock idea. Bobby, you could, if you go back and watch, you put in a tape of the 1960 world series, you see the pace of the game because the batter never got out of the batter's box. Now yeah. they step out on every pitch. I had this conversation with Bernie Williams. who said to me, Hey, if I couldn't do that, I would not be comfortable hitting. I want to be able to walk around. I want to put some pressure on the pitcher. I want to step in and step out. I should be allowed to do that. Do you agree that that's part of his mechanism for hitting and he should be allowed? Or would you rather make it like it used to be where basically you stay in the box and you don't get out of the box every pitch? Well, Mike, once again, um, a lot of people are making a lot of money, and some of them are being employed by the team, uh, but others being employed by the players to teach a routine for the batter, that they have to have this A, B, C, and D done before they get into the box to hit. So, you know, it would really take an adjustment in the mental training of the individual hitters um, to, to keep them in the box. I, I know it sounds crazy, but that's what it is. It's, it's that taking it to another level. You have to get the little guy off your shoulder. So he's not talking to you anymore. The way you tell him to shut up and sit in the dugout and watch this at bat is by going through a routine that then puts you in the box to do your job. I'm Mike Francesi. You're listening to Bobby Valentine. We're going to do a uh, baseball podcast together all season, once a week. You can find it, obviously, uh, wherever podcasts are distributed. Uh, or it is the uh, 
it is featured as part of the Bet Rivers Network, so you can get it there. But again, at any Apple or Spotify or any place where they uh, register and distribute podcasts. Bobby, um, the feeling now is, now Buck's back managing, and good. I'm glad to see he's back, okay? There's a feeling yeah. that there was no room anymore for a Buck Showalter, for a Bobby Valentine, for the old type of domineering baseball man who was himself a thinking person and a leader that now they want these guys who listen to the front office, take not suggestions, take printed lineups, take uh, really have someone do half their job for them. A, do you think it is as bad as that for most young managers? And B, is there still a place for the Bobby Valentine and the Buck Showalter? I think that most uh, front offices now, Mike, um, maybe not five and even 10 years ago, but I think most of them now have evolved to the position where they feel there needs to be cooperation between the guy in the uniform and the guy in front of the computer, the computer, that, that there needs to be a way that they work together and not have one dictate to the other the way things are going to be done. So I think everybody will tell you, including Buck and Dusty Baker, uh, you know, and, and some of the old heads who are out there, that they love information, that the more information they that they get, the better it is. That's what I always said to people, a gut reaction, if you're a real manager, isn't a spontaneous reaction to something that you see. But it's that regurgitation of all the information you collected to prepare yourself for what you might see. And then trust your gut that what the trainer told you and the stack I told you and the coach told you, oh, that's what this play's all about. Yeah, you know what I mean. Bobby, Bobby, listen. You guys have always been prepared. You guys always had information. You had it from game experience you had it from what you remembered managing every game you had it from computers you had printouts the difference now is there's this feeling that the manager gets to the game and there's a lineup sitting at his desk here's the suggested lineup tonight we don't want the pitcher we don't want this pitcher to see the lineup the second time around we don't want this guy to ever see the lineup the third time around that kind of stuff rather than let the guy manage the game do you think that's really going on, or is it overstated? Okay, I think that it went on. But again, I think it has evolved to a, pl- to a point now where most all of uh, the front offices are, are doing part of the work, but allowing the people in uniform to be part of the decision-making process. If the guy knew what you knew, he could make your money and be the manager. I mean, the bottom line is you're the manager for a reason, okay? I mean, that that's like a program director telling me how to do my job. Wait a second. 
you would be getting paid what I'm getting paid if you had to tell me how to do the show. The bottom line is I, I, I wouldn't want somebody telling me how to manage my team. I really wouldn't. I would be annoyed by that. Not that I wouldn't take a printout. I'll take a printout, but I'll make the damn decisions. I mean, that's how I look at it, and I don't know how much is real and how, you know, they, we, we paint so many of these young managers as being puppets. I don't know. I'm not there. I don't know if they're puppets or not. It seems they are very much reliant and making decisions by rote now, which I don't like. But, you know, this has to be a happy medium. There's still a place for the really smart baseball man. Oh, I believe that. And I, you know, I just believe the really smart baseball man um, is the information. Uh, but then, as you say, he just uses it the way he feels he should use it or she uh, as it might be here in the future um, and not, not being dictated. I, I agree with you. I don't think anybody, a lot of the young managers, let me just say this, Mike, though, they came up, they learned to manage. They learned as they were a scouting director or where, wherever they had come from, they learned to use all of that, that their decisions. So it's not a foreign uh, place for them to be when they're being told to use the data. You're listening to Bobby Valentine. I'm Mike Francesa on a baseball podcast for Bet Rivers, betrivers.com. Uh, and of course, you can find the podcast wherever they distribute uh, podcasts around the nation and uh, obviously throughout the New York metropolitan area. Bobby, um, I don't like baseball where it's going right now compared to where it was, but you know what? I'm getting old, so maybe that's part of it. But here's the thing that I'm puzzled by. How would you build your pitching staff? If you're, if you are a general manager, if you're running a team, clearly they have devalued the starting pitcher. You go in and you say, I have 1,492 innings to fill. I got nine times, 162. I got to make sure I can fill a lot of those innings and hopefully a lot of them adequately. Would you, do you, would you go out of your way to get the stud starter or is that a thing of the past? Do you believe in using these openers and then pitch by committee? Where is it now? It seems to me that we have more and more devalued the starter now to where if you're lucky if he goes, the great one goes six innings. The other ones, you're lucky now if they go four innings. I mean, it's almost like we have devalued the starting pitcher to the point when when you're building a team, why do I want to pay a guy 20 million bucks if I'm not going to let him pitch? I mean, how do you, how would you look at it if you're starting a team in terms of putting together a useful staff, especially with the weight on the starting pitcher. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, Mike, the reason starting pitching has been devalued is because starting pitching became very unreliable. You know, they did give up that three run homer in the fifth inning and put your team out of reach. Uh, they did get injured at a very uh, an alarming rate. Um, you know, so, you know, you, 
I think by necessity, you had to start going for something else. I never was with a team where we were going to actually, you know, pay for the stud starting pitcher. Um, you know, we got Nolan Ryan in Texas, but that wasn't when we were paying. That's when he was, they thought he was at the end of his career. Um, but I would, I'd love to have, you know, five guys who could give me seven innings and give me 30 starts. Are you kidding me? And keep me in those 30 starts where I have a chance to either hold the lead when you leave or come back with one swing of the bat um, to, to take a lead. I'd love to be able to have that, but you know, they're just so far and few between. Now, part of the reason for that might be that we haven't developed the starting pitcher, that the starting pitcher hasn't been left out there in the fifth inning when the first two guys got on to get through that fifth inning to figure out how you had to do it. Maybe it's because in college and in the minor leagues, we don't develop the physicality or the mental uh, toughness that you need to, you know, attack major league hitters 15, 18, 24 times a game. It's, it's, it's a tough duty. It really is tough duty. Would you rather go try to be, what, what's the way to, what's the key though? Do you go find yourself a bunch of hard, there's a million hard throwers around. We know that. Do you go find yourself a whole bunch of them and stock them in the bullpen and interchange them as some of these teams do and utilize guys for two or three innings of starting pitches? Or, I mean, obviously you'd like to have Scherzer, but he costs too much money. You'd like to have DeGrom, but he costs too much money and he's still fragile. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, let's see if they can get, you know, let's see if the Mets can get uh, 180 innings out of both DeGrom. I didn't even say 200, 180 innings out of DeGrom and Scherzer. Yeah, uh, I think they, you know, if they could stay healthy, that, and again, that's the whole thing. Um, the Mets win if they give them uh, 180 innings each. I believe if they could stay healthy and keep a one-two punch going, a dominating one-two punch, uh, I might add, where where it could have an effect on the next day for some hitters. If you have to face those two in the first two games of the series, you might be able to throw that third starter out there who would be facing a demoralized group of hitters trying to figure out where their swing went. And, and get your three-game sweep, if you know what I mean, Mike. Of course you do. But, um, you know, I, I wish I had the starting pitching. I think you have to. When I first became the manager of the Mets, I remember doing your show one time. Joe McElvain was the manager. And the first year I came in, we had all new bullpen pitchers. Everyone who was there the year before was gone, and they were all brand new. And what we tried to do is get a variety of pitchers who could mix and match with different types of hitters to allow the starting pitching to be safe in sixth and seventh innings. It didn't turn out because the submariners that we got from the left and the right side weren't as effective as they should be, as the fastball guys who had the high fastball weren't as 
effective as they could be. And the guys who had the trick pitches, they were going to pitch against the opposite uh, uh, side of the plate. Um, they weren't as effective. So uh, we didn't, we had an idea of how to win. And I think what a lot of teams have done now is not even gone to mixing and matching, have tried to go to overpowering. As you mentioned, get the guy who could throw hard. Let me get this guy 13 pitches. I want him to empty the tank with these 13 pitches for these three hitters and get us a couple of pop-ups, a broken bat, and a strikeout, and that's a day's work. And um, whew, that's a lot of hard throwers I think you need in order to really make it happen. Some teams have done it, and, and they've done it successfully, but it's, it's a hard way to go. Will you be comfortable employing these openers the way some teams do? Well, okay. So when the up opener came out, unless I'm mistaken, what it was supposed to be is that the closer, the guy, the best pitcher in your bullpen, was going to start the game. And then the starter was going to follow him after that. That was that opener concept. Now that has just evolved into what was always there, which we knew as the bullpen game, right? There were yes. just those games throughout history when, you know, they just didn't have a starter for that day. So he either came to the park sick or whatever might have happened, and you went to a bullpen game. Um, you know, I employed them. I think it's it's just so taxing on, on the bullpen that you have to have that second and third layer of those types of pitchers in the minor leagues. And again, it takes a lot of planning and developing to make sure you have the guy who can, you know, get inside on this right-handed pole hitter um, in the minor leagues to replace the guy who gets hurt in the major leagues, or maybe not even gets hurt in the major leagues, maybe pitches three innings the night before and he's not available the next two days and you send them down to bring up his replacement. Right. And rosters now will start at 28 just for that reason. Yes. And you can have, as, yes. you can have more than 13 pitches uh, with, to start the season because of the, the lack of spring conditioning this year. So they're going to start, who knows if they'll stay there. I always thought they should have a taxi squad and let you float a couple of pitches back and forth. You know, you can carry them with you and then you don't use them every night. You use different guys, have a little bit, you know, you, you, you play, you dress 26, but you can carry 29 as you travel. Exactly. I remember having that exact conversation with you, and that was your idea way back when. And what I, what I always used to talk about, and I don't know if um, how we stood on it, but I thought that the roster should be expanded at the beginning of the season and not at the end of the season, which is a conversation for another day. But just because every spring training, you're not sure of guys when you break spring training. If you give an expanded roster for the first month of the season, you see guys play under the big big lights at night in front of 30,000 people. You get a real idea of whether or not he's going to help your team that year, as opposed to expanding the roster the last month of the season and taking away competitive edges from teams who developed their roster during the season to have a competitive edge. And now the expanded roster takes the the, the edge uh, totally away from them. 
Bobby, clearly, and we're talking with Bobby Valentine. He is part of the uh, Bet Rivers family. Uh, so am I. We're going to do a podcast for the baseball season. I'll do two during the season this year. And you can get them at betrivers.com and, of course, wherever they distribute podcasts. And um, two things that are very pronounced. Number one, everyone is scared to death of age now. They don't want to give contracts, long-term contracts to guys once they're past 34 years old. Some teams even will tell you even 32 years old. They want younger players. And also, they now feel they have to put a steady diet of rest into the player's season. How about age and how about resting regular players? Well, I don't know that, that I got criticized for anything more when I was in New York, Mike, uh, than the days that I rested Mike Piazza. Oh, they and went they nuts, usually, especially if it remember? was Sunday. Especially if it was a Sunday. <laughs> right? You remember the day game after night game? I yes. would say, oh, this is the day Mike stopped playing. And I get everyone calling into your show. Oh, I brought my son to the game. Oh. His favorite player is Mike Piazza. And I would say, but he needs to rest. He's underwater. Before he gets underwater, he needs to rest, is what I used to say. And, uh, you know, now that they do it uh, as a norm, I think is a good thing. I think it's overdone. You know, Popovich in San Antonio, you know, all of a sudden. Oh, it's way overdone in the NBA. Way over, way overdone. And, And I think some of those schedule pays off. Um, you know, come at bad times for hitters. I, I think a day off is, is great to, to recharge. But if we know anything about our game, especially the hitter and the home run hitter, is that they're streaky. That most guys put their season together with streaks of home runs, with streaks of of getting a lot of hits. No question. That make up for the downtime, you know? And the schedule... I've seen schedule days off at times where I would say this, I can't take him out. He's right red now. hot. I, I right. can't take him out right now, you know, but it's, it's scheduled. So I, I guess in the long run, it's better. I guess I'm not, I'm still not sold on all that scheduled rest routine. people are not old enough maybe that or, or maybe they are some but some aren't to know that bobby valentine was a tremendous player football player and baseball player and could have been a batting champion if he hadn't suffered a terrible injury i mean i actually saw him play he was a great great baseball player great hitter uh it was a different world though bobby i mean yeah. now they teach you now it's about Exit velo. Now it's about lifting the baseball. Now a strikeout's yeah. okay. Okay, a strikeout's okay. All right, it's not. It's not. Not. It's not the end of the world to strike out. Okay. Now leadoff hitters strike out 110 times a year, uh, and everyone tries to lift the baseball. Your thoughts? Well, again, um, I just look back at uh, 40 years that I was trying to figure things out. And, um, you know, I, I tried to defend Pete Incavilla, who is a player on my team for, for five years. He 
he struck out 175 times and he hit 30, 35 home runs. And I would say, well, strikeout's only one out. And I'd get killed for that kind of mentality. And um, I, I believe with some hitters in the lineup, that could actually be uh, the way you go about, um, you know, getting the most runs from a lineup. But I think there's other guys in the lineup um, who need to be different types of hitters. It, they just make it too easy on the pitcher sometimes that he's facing the same hitter time and time again. You know, you, again, momentum is such a big thing in the game of baseball. And when the little hitter takes the momentum away from the guy who's striking out three guys in a row with a line drive over second base, and now he's pitching out of a stretch instead of a windup. Boy, you just changed the momentum of that character who was on the, on the mound. And we don't do enough of that in our planning when, we, when we're planning to do battle as to how to create and maintain momentum and then how to stop it, the momentum of the bad guys when, when they're rocking and rolling. And I, I, I don't think you could have one way of doing um, that, uh, that swing, that at-bat. The swing's going to probably be the same, but the at-bat has to be approached differently. How about, you know, we mentioned early on, and we're talking about Bobby Valentine, uh, the Mike Francesa podcast is on Vet Revenue's Network, will be each week, and one of my podcasts will feature Bobby Valentine, and we'll do baseball each week through the season, uh, with a lot on the Mets and the Yankees, who we'll get to in a minute. You know, Bobby, the handling a bullpen, everyone will tell you, managers have to do two things. They got to keep their team somewhat happy, keep the guys who hate the other guys away from the guys who hate the other guys and, you know, keep some kind of harmony and handle a bullpen and handle a bullpen and guys can or can't handle a bullpen. And now they've made it even tougher on you with the implementation of a rule that I don't love. Now you say, I think you like it a little bit. I don't love that rule because I don't like rules that are made that to me, there doesn't seem to be a reason for that rule. It's arbitrary. And uh, let a pitcher seek how many guys he's going to face or not face and stuff like that. But it has handcuffed or can handcuff a manager. How tough has that made it for the manager in the bullpen? Well, I, I tried to sit there and figure it because I never lived with it where I had to make make the decisions myself, but it seems to me that uh, a lot of managers um, kind of get caught with that rule, you know, understanding that the first two guys might be okay, but that third guy owns this, this hitter and you can't afford one of those loud sounds in the gap in the, at this time of the game. Um, but I think that, um, and, and also the one out, you know, where if you end the inning, you can come out of the game yes. too, where a lot of, I've seen a lot of managers trap believing that this guy can get this one out and that's all, I, that's all I need him for. But, you know, he, he walks the, that guy or he hits him with a pitch or the guy bloops one in, 
because he dominated him, but he broke his bat and he blew one in. Well, now he has to stay out there for another two hitters. And I've seen games get away from managers and teams uh, with that one guy mentality who has to stay in longer than one. Uh, yeah, listen, handling bullpens is tough anyway. I mean, that's just all there is to it. I mean, it, it, it's, it's tricky. You, you got to be one step ahead. It's, it, it's, it's fascinating. And it's something that, Hey, there's always, it lends itself to the classic second guess of a manager because he's either gets the guy out or he was wrong. I mean, that's all there is to it. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, it's always right. Failure is always right there. I mean, you can be right and be wrong. Okay. I mean, that's just the way yeah. it works. I mean, so you can be right a lot and be wrong. So it's, it's, a, it's always a very fascinating thing to watch the, you know, and that's, it makes it classic. That's why I don't like anything that puts any arbitrary rules on decisions. I'd rather see the guy be able to make his own decision and not be, well, I had to do this because of this. I have to do this because of the rule. I mean, to me, that's why I don't like it. I want, I want a guy to leave yep. a guy in because he has, because he wants to leave the guy in, you know? I hear you. Yeah. Or make a move because you want to make it, not because you have to make it. Yeah. I'm with you. Are you okay with, I mean, I was always a DH guy. I mean, only for two reasons. One, it keeps the older hitting star in the game. And two, most pitchers don't take hitting seriously. I mean, a couple do. I mean, you know, I don't mind watching DeGrom hit, okay? I, 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 I didn't watch, uh, mind watching uh, Newcomb hit or Don Drysdale or Bob Gibson hit. But a lot of guys went up there like Hank Aguirre and never fouled the ball off, okay? I mean, so... Uh, those are the guys you didn't like and watching them run the bases is almost comical. That's even worse. And then guys got hurt on the bases, which really started to be the downfall. You know, when guys get hurt, uh, when they go on the base paths, they said, wait a second, I'm paying this pitcher $20 million. Now he gets hurt on the base path. So they, they, they didn't want any part of that. So you knew it was going to happen. Are you okay with the DH now that it's there? Once, once again, it was inevitable. Um, you know, all, all the people who, not all, but most of the people in the front offices today, most of the young managers today, Mike, they never played a game in their high school, college, uh, minor league career where the pitcher hit. Yep. So they didn't know, they don't know that game. So there's no reason to expect them to be in favor of the pitcher hitting. And, um, you know, I get it. Most of the pitchers grew up not hitting because they had DH leagues wherever they were, you know, traveling and playing in high school and playing in college. So to expect them to, to be able to do it is, I think, a great expectation. And uh, I'm glad we have a universal set of rules. The Yankees are... 91 and a half. That's their number for the season to win 91 and a half games. The Mets are actually below them. A lot of people might've thought they were ahead of them. They're not. They're 90 and a half. Those numbers at bet rivers, 90.5 for the Mets, 91.5 for the Yankees. If you want to use something just to use as a barometer, the Dodgers are first at 98 and a half. Uh, on the low end, you have teams like the Orioles at 61. Uh, but to give you an example of what the you run the gamut from, the highest is the Dodgers, who last year were actually over 100 
which I had never seen before. This year they're at 98.5. Toronto is at 92 and a half. Houston's at 92 and a half. The White Sox are at 93 and a half. Uh, just to give you an example, let's touch on the Mets for a second. First of all, Buck, and then, of course, this team with a 1-2-3 pitching punch, the likes of which any guy would dream of as a manager. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm over that, uh, that number with the Mets, by the way. And not only over looking at the team as it stands right now, but I think uh, that most teams watched the season last year and saw Atlanta uh, at the halfway point pick up multiple pieces that allowed them to win a championship and, and be the world champion. Really changed the I team. Think, they changed the team. Right, really changed the team, right? Yeah. Halfway through, boom. Now, and that was after losing maybe one of the best players in baseball, in yep. Acuna. And um, I think that most teams saw that and understood it and are going to be on the prowl. And I'll bet dollars to uh, bottle caps that Steve Cohen is ready to spend halfway through this season. Well, I don't think there's any question. They'll go after whatever they need, whether it's going to be a bullpen person or another, maybe another RBI bat. When you look at the Mets right now, bullpen, obviously an issue. Maybe you could be looking for that one more legitimate RBI guy to balance off that lineup. What, 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 if anything, worries you about the Mets right now? Obviously, you need health with the top of the rotation. You're looking at a one-two punch. Scherzer's amazing. Scherzer's already throwing six innings. I mean, he's throwing six innings. you got to like Scherzer. He goes out there and pitches. I mean, the guy's th- he's throwing six innings in spring training a week in. That guy's unbelievable. He really is unbelievable. He, he, he reminds me of Nolan Ryan that I had where, you know, Nolan came to spring training on – um, March 1st, never came in February because the basic agreement said, you know, you, you only had a report at March 1st. And you remember uh, Dick Moss was his agent, yep. who is also Marvin Miller's. Anyway, so um, he'd get there the first day and throw five innings on March 1st. <laughs> never have a bullpen in spring, in spring training. Never throw batting practice prior to that. So uh, some of these guys are really different, you know, and I think the biggest challenge for the Mets, and this is obvious, everyone knows it, and that is how that team comes together. It's a really different team than they've had in the past with monumentally different leadership. Yes. You know, and uh, counting Buckshaw Walter, but also guys who are acquired in trade. So it's going to be interesting how the team comes together and if they – if it takes a real hiccup for them to realize what they're supposed to be doing as a team. Well, uh, let's be so, honest. Lindor's influence was enormous on that team last year, and it wasn't positive. Uh, that's all there is to it. I mean, it just was not positive. Uh, and, and that team changed. It was a lovable team the year before. It was not a lovable team last year. It was not a, a friendly team. They had fights on the team last year, and he had a miserable season. I mean, we know he's got ability. He hit some home runs late to show you that he's still got ability. He had an adjustment to New York, which everybody has. You know, that's why I said don't give him the contract early in the year because everybody bombs early in New York. They, uh, there's no one who came here 
ever and 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 hit the ground running. I don't care who it is. No nobody comes here who's got to prove themselves and hits the ground running in New York. It doesn't happen. And he didn't either. He had a very rough year last year, but clearly he wants to be a leader. He really wants to set the pace for the team. It's obvious. Without a doubt, and I think that he's going to have some uh, competition uh, in that clubhouse, and that's why I think that that's challenging. Um, you know, my, my, I got to make a comment about Lindor, Mike, because you lived through the nightmares of seasons that I lived through when we got a switch hitting oh. uh, second baseman oh. from Cleveland who who was an all star for multiple years. Who, who, who I never did, saw anything. <laughs> Except get three extra base hits. Every time I saw him play at Yankee Stadium, he got three extra base hits. He came to the Mets. He couldn't play. <laughs> so so that's Robbie Alomar you're talking about. And, yes. and, and Carlos Biagra yeah. both. And Biagra, yeah. too. They both did the same thing. They came to New York. Really, throw in Juan Samuel, and they did it to three guys. <laughs> yeah, but, but those three switch-hitting middle infielders from Cleveland – all happen to be from Puerto Rico. I just I get shivers when I when I watch Lindor and remember Carlos and oh. Robbie, who I loved as people, greatest guys on the team ever. But to see them go from All Star Hall of Fame talent on the field to oh, I don't think he can play today because he can't hit this pitcher. Oh. <laughs> oh. What a difference, right? Hey, I never saw, first of all, people, I mean, they have to know how good Alomar was. Alomar wasn't good. He was all-time good before he came to the Mets. He was all-time, I mean, he was immortal good, that guy. And then Baega, I mean, Baega used to come to Yankee Stadium and wear the Yankees out. I mean, every single time he came here, he, he looked like an old man as soon as he got here. How did that? How did that happen? It's one of the mysteries of my lifetime. I, I'm how not, did it happen? I, I, I don't know. I guess, and, and it was. It I was. And, it and let's be honest. When they it traded for Juan Samuel, he had 400 total bases the year before he came here, and he couldn't hit here either. Didn't they ever throw him sliders in Philadelphia? <laughs> <laughs> but listen. Lindor is, you can see, a complicated guy. I mean, he, he'd be, he's going to be a complicated guy for Buck. He's going to be a complicated guy for anybody. We know he's got a world of talent. He's a flashy fielder. He's, a, he's got a lot of talent. He's got power. We know he's got tools. I mean, you can see it a mile away. He was awful last year. Would you expect a bounce-back year, or are you concerned for a bounce-back year? I'm concerned only because of what I already mentioned, that it, there might be something in that uh, drive from Cleveland or that flight from Cleveland to New York that's, that happens. I, I just can't figure it out. But it should be a bounce back here without a doubt. He should, he should uh, you know, get 200 hits and uh, score 100 runs and uh, just take it from there. And if he does and it gets off to a good start, Mike, he will be able to be that leader and and have leadership presence. But as I mean, you know it better than even me that in New York this year with expectations, what they are for the team, 
if he doesn't get off to a good start, it's going to be miserable for him. They're going to kill him. I'm talking about miserable. Oh, they will boo him. They, they will boo him from Jump Street. They will boo him. Uh, f- now, let's be uh, equal opportunity and do it to the other team. The Yankees are more puzzling than the Mets because everyone expected them to just go wild and they didn't uh, financially. And, and listen, never count the Yankees out financially, okay? I mean, uh, I think they're more, far more careful in the Hal Steinbrenner era than they were in the George era. Uh, they, I think that's part of it. I think Hal has an, a budget in his head that he lives by, uh, but that doesn't mean he won't spend anything. It just means he's going to be careful but how about Glaber Torres? He's now reached the point where it's now or never. Sanchez is gone, okay? He can't get beat up anymore. He's gone. Now Torres is going to be the guy. We saw him look great early, hit 38 home runs, looked like he was going to be a monster, and now we know he's not a shortstop. That's over with. But is he the player that we thought he was? Well, I think he is. Um, and I really loved him as a hitter uh, those first early years. And, and I thought he was as good a hitter as he was in baseball. Wow. Um, some, something happened. Something obviously happened. And uh, he did get – he got heavier – uh, he and lost, shortstop uh, happened where he wasn't comfortable yep. at shortstop. No question. It, it, it might have just affected the entire uh, life, you know. Couldn't hit because he couldn't play shortstop. Or he no longer was a shortstop, so he no longer was that person, had that image of himself that he, that he used to have. But I, I think he's going to bounce back in a really big way. What do you think of the Yankees' time? 91 and a half is the number. Uh, for them, they're right in the middle of the, the mix in the division. They're not the favorites. We know that. It's a tough division. We know that. Um, there's question marks at certain positions. There's things that have to happen uh, that we know. Uh, there's still some issues to be brought up. They did make, I thought, a puzzle. I mean, I didn't like the move. For, I, I don't mind getting an athletic shortstop. I didn't like the move for Donaldson. I, 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 I think he's way past his prime, and I don't want another right-handed hitter. Um, I, I didn't like that myself. Um, they've puzzled me with some moves. Where do you think the Yankees are? Well, again, you know better than everyone. The uh, couple decades of uh, Yankee dynasties um, – revolved around the bullpen and uh, I think it I think that 90 if it's going to be above that for the Yankees it rests on the shoulders of Chapman and last year Chapman kind of he, he, he kind of uh, skated in that his reliability was not what was needed for that Yankee team nope. and yet you know it, it wasn't put on his shoulders you could bet it's going to be put on his shoulders this year. I don't and trust him anymore. I admit it. I don't trust him anymore. So yeah, okay. So you see what I mean? Yep. That if he's going to be something other than the world-class dominant left-handed uh, superhuman uh, that, that they signed him to be, I think the Yankees are going to struggle. 
or Booney's going to have to remake the uh, strategy of a Yankee bullpen, which will be foreign to everyone who covers the team and everyone who roots for the team because, uh, you know, Joe established how you set a bullpen and Yankee fans and Yankee people who follow and, and cover the team are used to a systematic system uh, coming out of the bullpen. Yankees had two things. They had incredible postseason bullpens led by a closer who was brilliant, but it wasn't just him. They had mix and match guys. They had Graham Lloyd when they needed him against Atlanta. They had uh, Stanton and they had Ramiro Mendoza and you can go down the line. They had, they had so many guys that you could count on who were big in big spots uh, that did just, I mean, sensational jobs. I mean, even in 96, you can bring in guys like Weathers who did a good job. I mean, uh, uh, they, they, I mean, they, they shut down, they were trailing games and shut down the, uh, the team for five and six innings so they could make a comeback. You know how deep that bullpen was for them. They were great. And then they could chip away and, that's what I loved about those teams is they didn't happen to hit a home run to, to have a rally. I mean, they could have a classic rally with a, you know, a dink and a double and a line drive here or there and, you know, score three runs that way. It had magic to them. And I really believe that, you know, Mariano uh, had one of the magic wands. Uh, you know, number two had another magic wand. And that's what is expected in the Bronx for Chapman to have that magic wand. And um, we'll, we'll see how that works for them. All right. Right now, as we get ready to start the season, we're talking with Bobby Valentine. Best team in the National League. Are you along with everyone else and think it's the Dodgers? The Dodgers might have, like, uh, their second string might be as good as uh, <laughs> the top ten team. I mean, it's, it's amazing. The, Do- the Dodgers are... Uh, what a wealth of talent. Yeah. Uh, and it just seems to to just show up. There seems to be a new rookie every year, and then they go out and get guys, and then they show up with another guy who's unbelievable every year. It's amazing how much talent they seem to have at their doorstep. It's unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And, uh, again, I think Stevie Cohen has an eye to the West. That, uh, you know, that's the – that he wants the Mets to uh, surpass. And um, it's going to be interesting how those great players, if they start coming east, young man, and and making the Mets something that the Yankees really have had um, in, in that city. And it's hard for me to ever really take the White Sox seriously. I'm sorry. It's too many years of trying to, you know. But they are the yeah. they are considered the team in the, to beat now in the American League this year. I, I don't know if I can really jump on board of the White Sox yet. That's a little hard for me to do, you know. Well, the, the one thing that um, I think they have going for them uh, is that talking with Tony La Russa, he says, you know, I got a group of guys that they really like each other. They really and truly like each other. And, uh, you know, you watch them play, and you, they're not household names yet for a lot of baseball fans, but it seems that they do enjoy other teammates' success, you know? And and if they're enjoying their success, you know that they're, they're picking them up when they're down. And 
when that kind of atmosphere uh, is alive and well on a team, the team is usually pretty good. There's some really unbelievable young talent, young players in baseball right now. There really are some amazing young players. Which one would stop you in your tracks on the field right now where you'd say, I got to stop and watch this guy right here? Wow. Well, you know, the the Acuna kid in in Atlanta, um, you know, is just so phenomenal. He's coming back from an injury, and I suspect he's going to come back without missing a beat. Remarkable Uh, talent. Remarkable talent. just what what he can do and do it with uh, the the effortlessness of, of Roberto Clemente, you know, that he just flows through his swing and his throw and his run. Um, you know, he's one of many. But, my gosh, there are so many good, um, good young players out there. Uh, we need a whole show, and we should do a whole show, on just guys under under three years of experience in the big leagues. It's phenomenal talent. And how many of the, these players, Bobby, Spanish-speaking players from all different places on the map, and how amazingly talented they are, and and the amount of talent that comes out of these countries is unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's really fun to watch. Um, you know, as we all know, a lot of uh, the Latin American countries. Um, um, sign kids at uh, or major league baseball sign signs players at 16 years old, um, you know, and, and they start to sharpen their teeth on a little better brand of baseball at an earlier age. And so they're 21 uh, in the big leagues and everyone thinks they're young, but they've, they've already put 1500 at bats underneath their belt, um, you know, when they got there. So, um, and, and, you know, the, another thought for another talk is this idea of an international draft, which would um, kind of preclude a lot of the early development in these countries of young players. Uh, and, and I think that would be bad for baseball. So you're not for a draft. You don't want to see one. No, I don't want to see one. Well, listen, pleasure no. to have you on. Uh, we'll do it uh, each and every week during the baseball season. Look forward to it. Bobby Valentine will join me for a podcast each week during the season. Bobby, I uh, hope everything's going well. How is life? Good? Life is spectacular, Mike. Yeah, and uh, we will have time to share each other's thoughts. Your kids must be getting big now. Yes. I'm sure there's a travel team or two in some sport that they're playing. Well, good I got a tight end. You, I got. A, I have a, a senior in high school who's a tight end uh, on, on a good team. Uh, so that's number one. Then I have one nice. younger than that. So uh, he's going to be a senior this year. 6'1", 210-pound tight end for uh, Chaminade. So he's a good player. Great. Great. Well, listen, good to talk to you, Bobby. We'll we'll chat next week. Thanks very much. Yeah, you're the man. Thanks. All right. Great being with you. Bobby V and Bobby's part of the uh, Bet Rivers group. We can uh, hear the Mike Francesa podcast, and we'll do two each week. We'll do one during the baseball season with Bobby V. We'll do a Football Friday one during the football season, and then we'll do another one that'll take in whatever it takes in, uh, a lot of different things, all the big events, everything else, whatever it might be, the Masters. I love to do golf every week anyway, and uh, or the Kentucky Derby, or the playoffs, or like this week, the Final Four. So obviously, uh, there's a whole lot to do, and we'll be doing it. Uh, the podcast is featured on Bet Rivers on the Bet Rivers Network. 
And remember, all the odds we use is from Bet Rivers, and you can make all your wages in New York at Bet Rivers. And if you're listening in Jersey or Connecticut, make your bets on PlaySugarHouse.com. Uh, so it's good to be back. I'm looking forward to this. It's going to be fun during the season. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, we've got a lot of different things to do. As I said, I will uh, do the baseball with Bobby V, who's always got a wealth of talent. We got, you know, we're just touching the surface today. We just, uh, we got plenty to dig in. We'll give you plenty of over-unders and uh, predictions before the season starts. We'll do that on next week's show. So, uh, again, you can get the podcast wherever podcasts are distributed. Apple, Spotify, all the different places. You know them better than I do. Uh, And uh, this is a podcast that is featured on the Bet Rivers Network and will be each and every week. We'll see you next week, folks. Thanks for listening to the Mike Francesa podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Hey, it's Mike Miss here. What a time to be a Philly sports fan, and you can share the excitement with me each week on the Mike Missinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Listen and subscribe to the Mike Missinelli podcast today, wherever you get your podcasts.